Welcome to the Resources for Integrated Care webinar, Palliative and Hospice Care for Persons with Disabilities. This podcast is excerpted from a webinar presented live on March 7, 2018. In this podcast, Judy Lund Person, Vice President of National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization, discusses the differences between palliative care and hospice care, the fears of palliative and hospice care within the disability community, and how hospice care is provided. It's great to be with all of you, and I'm, I'm really looking forward to our discussion today and also to your questions. Let's start on the next slide with what is hospice care. So it is a program of care um, that provides support to patients who are nearing the end of life, and usually the marker in the current definition of hospice is if a patient, or in, in our case, in our discussion today, if a participant is in the end stages of their disease, not the disability disease, but some other uh, disease that is now um, going to be a uh, more considered a terminal diagnosis. So six months or less is usually the marker that we use. Uh, but we are also very, very committed to uh, the highest possible quality of life for whatever life is left for any participant. We're very committed to making sure that whoever that participant has has family. So it could be, I know sometimes when we work with um, patients in nursing homes and hospice care, the, the family is really the roommate, the care staff, um, that sort of thing. We've got um, the same commitment uh, no matter where the participant starts, um, that we have some um, focus on not just care and not just physical care for the beneficiary, for the patient, for the participant, but also uh, care for the family. And then to offer support palliative care services throughout the process of, of dying. Let's look at palliative care on the next slide. Next slide, please. All right, so then when we're looking at, I think there's a slide that's missing here. So could you go back one? So what is palliative care? And certainly over the last uh, eight to 10 years, palliative care has really grown all over the country. Started out very focused on inpatient services where um, with a focus on comfort, with a focus on, on making sure that the patient had all the needs in the hospital that they needed. Now palliative care is provided wherever a participant might be. So the same with hospice, but uh, in a broader context. So we're looking at um, focusing on providing relief from symptoms, uh, providing a, a goal of improving quality of life for the participant and their family. We have, just like in hospice, we have a team of uh, folks who are providing the care. Um, physicians, nurses, social workers, other providers, could be an aide, could be a music therapist. But I think the key here is uh, palliative care does not have that six-month prognosis requirement. It's also not a benefit that has reimbursement coming from the Medicare program. Next slide, please. So you can see kind of the difference um, between palliative care um, for wherever a participant might be in their uh, disease process and then hospice care for patients who are nearing the end of life and in that six-month uh, prognosis requirement. A participant may receive palliative care or hospice care 
wherever they prefer. So if they're in a in their own home, in a group home, assisted living facility, a nursing home, all of those places are are options for where care can be provided. Next slide, please. So I wanted to talk just for a minute about the duly eligible beneficiaries. So for the patients um, and, and participants who have um, both Medicare and Medicaid, both Medicare and Medicaid cover hospice services. And they are, um, of course, Medicaid is always a pair of last resort, but um, it, is a, it is very much a coordinated effort on who pays for what things. This is Im uh, important for the hospice care side of the, the uh, discussion because palliative care is not specifically paid for as a benefit under either Medicare or Medicaid. Now we say that, but then we also have a lot of uh, experimentation and, and uh, innovation going on among the states. So in some states there is some possibility, like California, that uh, palliative care services would be available to the Medicaid population in California. Um, and in actuality, California is really leading the way for a lot of the coverage of um, services for participants. We also see some palliative care being designed by Medicare Advantage plans or other health plans, as well as um, other private insurance, commercial insurance carriers for participants and their families. Next slide. All right, so let's talk just a little bit on the next slide about um, the 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 issues I think that we all are worrying about with the fear of palliative and hospice care within the disability community. Next slide, please. So in the um, in the history of the treatment of, um, and I, I don't think any of us needed to uh, go through this because I think we've all uh, experiment we've all experienced a lot of this. Um, certainly in the 1800s, um, any participants, individuals with disabilities, were in asylums, were um, out out of uh, sight, out of mind in in facilities and in big institutions. Then we have you know certainly a lot of advances over the last, especially over the last 30, 40 years. Um, and, and I think many of us who've been around a little while um, remember especially the Americans with Disabilities Act and how important a lot of the, the work was in the 80s and 90s, even in the 70s, to, to get the disability community in a, in a new and much more um, visible place. Next slide. But I, I think there's also a, a lot of concern about hospice patients um, and talking about hospice um, in the disability community. So I really wanted to address some of that as well. Next slide, please. I think we, we missed one there. So we hear a lot of stories about um, participants with very severe disabilities and and maybe even healthcare professionals have said this patient will never get better they're in a persistent vegetative state um and and oftentimes and or maybe sometimes that that participant may uh, progress to lead a a life with quality and a life um, that's worth living i think 
you know, the, the concern that many patients have um, as they're dealing with the healthcare system are magnified for the participant who has a long-term disability. So if you're talking about your illness, which is a long-term and chronic illness, then you, you're having a different conversation when that illness or something else completely different um, begins to pop up as a terminal illness or as an illness at the end of life. So if we're looking at advanced serious illness where palliative care might be involved, palliative care might be the, the thing that the participant might choose and continue to, to uh, have through the rest of their life. Hospice is also an option, but even in the communities where patients um, and their families are looking at services across the board, uh, sometimes that H word, the hospice word, is very concerning to many, many patients. And in the disability community, I know, we all know, that there's a lot more sensitivity about anything that might indicate that the patient or the, the participant is not really um, recognized as still being uh, having a quality life to live. So let's talk about that um, having the end-of-life discussions. We are so much more focused on end-of-life discussions since we've been, um, physicians are now able to be paid for having advanced care planning discussions with patients. We constantly are talking in our um, Amongst our own families, we have a lot more focus, Atul Gawande and his, his work on advanced care planning and talking about feudal care. Um, all of those things are part of this new environment we're in where talking about what your plan should be for the end of life is something all of us are, are much more tuned into than we used to be. So in the, in the context of a, a participant with a... Um, long-term disability, this is a, a lot more challenging and a lot more difficult. And many hospices are very tuned into person-centered care. That is the, the um, highlight of, of a lot of the work that a hospice uh, a dis interdisciplinary team can, uh, can do. But I think very concerning is, is that uh, how will that, um, the, the disease of the patient with a, the participant with a long-term disability, how will that be um, recognized by the hospice team? So I think a lot of times if, if a participant has a trusted care provider, that is the place to start. That is the place to start about how to plan for what life should be like as I near the end of life. And that um, healthcare provider may be able to bridge that uh, discussion with the hospice provider or the palliative care provider. All right, next next slide, please. And then we'll talk now a little bit about how hospice care gets provided in the community, and, and maybe there are some ways that um, participants can um, use some of this information to identify participants and their families that might need hospice care. Next slide, please. So we have almost 50%, and this is Medicare data, so almost 50%, 49.6% of uh, Medicare beneficiaries who died in 2016 used hospice. That's just astounding. Even, even as I've worked in hospice for a very long time, it's astounding that that's what our, um, what our number has grown to. I think the thing that I want to make sure of is that we are talking about the really wide diversity of diseases. In the early days of hospice, they um, expected, we expected, 
that most people who used hospice services would have cancer. So a lot of our early modeling was 90% cancer, 10% all other diagnoses. Well, now you can see just from this list here um, that cancer patients, cancer beneficiaries in this uh, data with uh, cancer were not even 30% of our uh, patient population. So a lot of cardiac and circulatory diseases, that would be a lot of congestive heart failure, um, dementia and other Alzheimer's, other uh, dementias, respiratory, primarily chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or COPD, and then stroke and other uh, diseases as well. So important for us to really think about hospice as available to a, a participant with any um, particular disease that might be the, the uh, disease that is causing a, a terminal event. Next slide, slide, please. And then in the Medicare benefit, this is also true in the Medicaid benefit and in many of the um, private insurance benefits as well, um, the reimbursement is paid by the day. So it doesn't matter what services are provided, it is the day of care. So. In, in Medicare and in Medicaid, we have four levels of care. Routine home care, which is what most people get, so delivered wherever the patient is, wherever the participant is, um, to the patient in their own home, to a participant in a group home, assisted living, nursing home, uh, you name it, we provided um, care in that setting. And then continuous home care, which is if a participant has a symptom that is um, urgent um, and doesn't require a hospitalization, there is a possibility then that a hospice would be able to provide what they call continuous home care. That is somebody who would be in the home, nurse or aid services, be in the home for at least eight hours in a 24-hour period. And that way the patient participant, the beneficiary, does not have to go to the hospital or make any kind of change, but the urgent medical issue can be addressed at home. If that's not possible, then inpatient care could be provided, and that's called general inpatient care. And then respite, which you can see is used by some of our um, patients as well. Um, respite care would be for a, a stay in a nursing home mostly. Um, while the family members rest um, and take a break from the um, caregiving for the participant or the beneficiary. Next slide, please. So how does a patient get to hospice? That's, I think, an important thing and, and certainly a, um, a little bit of a, if I needed hospice care, what would I do? So that's, I, I wanted to spend a little time talking about what happens when um, a participant is, is at the place where there is a disease that's um, going to be um, moving down the very serious route and um, could be six months or less prognosis. So the participant would um, have the discussion or obtain a physician's note um, indicating a life-limiting li illness. Um, we are hopeful we are so hopeful um, that the physician would have the conversation with the participant about the difference between their disability and whatever it is that's happening now to um, to make them not chronically ill, not seriously ill, but now terminally ill. 
So this is another place where that um, trusting relationship with someone who knows the participant well, who knows what their needs are, um, and can be an advocate is really going to be important. Now I want to talk just for a minute about uh, the physician. So the participant has the opportunity to choose what we call an attending physician. So that could be their primary care provider, but really it could be any physician that they choose to be their attending physician. So between that person and the hospice physician or hospice medical director, the team of two physicians make the determination about um, agreeing that this patient, this participant, this beneficiary is um, ready for hospice and qualifies for hospice care. So the nurse um, and other interdisciplinary team members, and we'll talk about the team in just a minute, um, they conduct an uh, initial and comprehensive assessment. So what are the medical needs of the patient? What are the social needs? What kinds of things does the family need? What kinds of things should be um, provided for in terms of the spiritual issues or the counseling issues? How do we help the participant and their family deal with the anticipatory grief that now this is, um, whatever disease it is, is moving toward a um, prognosis that is not uh, forever, not, uh, and certainly not, um, and is different from their disability. And then the um, interdisciplinary team develops the hospice care plan. And that would be any um, services that could include the hospice aid for personal care. It could be um, hospice a social worker to come and help with some counseling services. It could be the chaplain to talk about spiritual issues. I know in, in my own situation, I was a caregiver for a neighbor who um, his biggest he had lung cancer. His biggest need was to talk to the chaplain because he'd been in the Korean War. And he was afraid that when he died, God would not forgive him for what he did during the Korean War. And it always sticks with me because we think about the medical needs, but we don't necessarily think about all the other things that that participant is dealing with as they are approaching death. Next slide, please. So this is a really good list of all the possible services that a hospice might be able to provide and um, would be providing um, in a way that is identified specifically for the participant and their family. And you note that I keep on talking about the participant and their family because this is a benefit that is not just for the participant, it is also for the, the family members. So physical, occupational, and speech therapy, definitely. Um, but I also want to call your attention to the massage, art, and music therapy, which has um, gotten very popular um, for many of our patients. Um, and I, I know in a lot of our work with music therapists, um, just really some life-changing um, experiences that music therapists can bring to patients as they're nearing the end of life. Counseling. Uh, CNAs are hospice aides, and certainly the work of nurses, physicians, social workers, and volunteers. Now, we've added here at the bottom the in-home paraprofessional care. That would be like personal care services. Um, also, um, and, there, and depending on the state, 
um, also often able to be provided separate and apart but coordinated with um, the hospice services like Medicaid personal care services. So that's something to check on in, in the state um, state where your, your, your uh, participants live, but certainly that's something that is also very important to this patient population. Next slide, please. So here are some of the things that the um, interdisciplinary team does. So they're looking at pain and symptoms. They're looking at um, emotional support, um, anticipatory grief. They're making sure, and this is an important one, that medicine and durable medical equipment, medical supplies that are related to that participant's terminal illness are provided and paid for by the hospice. So this is a one of those unique benefits in Medicare and in Medicaid where it is 100% paid for by hospice. Um, and the, for the, the services of the, for the illness, um, there should be no cost to the patient, to the participant, to the beneficiary, or their family. They're going to work with the family and any other care providers on how to uh, continue to provide care to the patient. As the um, participant gets weaker, as the disease progresses, the hospice nurse, the hospice social worker will be there to help understand what's going on with the um, disease process and what to expect next. So we talked a little bit about that short-term inpatient care. Um, just really also we, we need to be aware that most of hospice care is not provided in the inpatient setting. So there's a lot of focus on um, doing as little as we can in the inpatient setting, making sure it's available, um, but also keeping patients at home, keeping participants at home with the, their loved ones as much as possible is what our goal would be. And then bereavement support and counseling to family members, to staff, to partners, to other friends um, after the death of the participant, and that can continue for a year or even 13 months so that you get past that one-year anniversary. And then finally, coordinating with other personal care services that are um, in the home because of the participant's uh, disability, making sure that that coordination is smooth, that everybody has um, ongoing conversation about that. And that's that's the place where um, paying attention to what's available at the state level is going to be really important. All right, next slide, please. So I, 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 as I was thinking about this presentation, I wanted to think two different ways. Um, the hospice provider who is tuned in, and, and I would say the vast majority of hospice providers are very interested in providing good services to um, persons with disabilities, participants with disabilities. So I think you know that's that's an education um, opportunity on both sides. So the the hospice should be listening to what kinds of needs the participant with disabilities might have, what's related to their disability, what new things are happening because of a new or uh, worsening disease process. I think we, we all have work to do in this area, so the encouragement I have to anybody who's working with uh, participants is to provide as much listening as possible, um, to make sure that whatever services are provided 
take the participant and their caregivers and their family into account so that all of the care planning that's done um, allows the participant to be as open, to, as able to do as much as they can. So um, also really important uh, about that. As Chris and I were talking about this uh, session, we also began talking about what we could do in this same um, area for hospice providers to um, have better experience and better knowledge about how to care for participants with disabilities. So we're very interested in doing that. We're very interested in making sure that the end of life, stage of life is as comfortable and as high quality as possible. Thank you for listening. This podcast is presented by the Lewin Group and is supported through the Medicare-Medicaid Coordination Office at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. MMCO is dedicated to helping beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare and Medicaid have access to seamless, high-quality health care that includes the full range of covered services in both programs. To support providers in their efforts to deliver more integrated, coordinated care, MMCO is developing technical assistance and actionable tools based on successful innovations in care models. To learn more about our current efforts and resources, please visit our website or follow us on Twitter for more details. Our Twitter handle is at integrate underscore care.